Join me in Jeremiah chapter 6, verses 27 through 30, if you would please. Jeremiah chapter 6, verses 27 through 30 for our text this morning. Those verses read, I have set thee for a tower and a fortress among my people, that thou mayest know and try their way. They are all grievous revolters, walking with slanders. They are brass and iron. They are all corruptors. The bellows are burned. The lead is consumed of the fire. The founder melteth in vain, for the wicked are not plucked away. Reprobate silver shall men call them, because the Lord hath rejected them. We'll take our title from verse 30. Reprobate silver will be the title as described in the text. Might begin by asking you, have you ever heard of reprobate silver? Well, here it is in the Bible. The only time it appears in the Bible with this description of being reprobate silver. Silver, of course, in the Bible many times, many places. Well, while you may not have heard of reprobate silver, other than reading your Bible in this text, I'm sure you've heard of sterling silver. Uh, that is a high-quality silver. Probably most jewelry and many other things, utensil-wise and what have you, are made out of sterling silver. And just for the record, sterling silver is about 92.5% pure. That's, that's the... Uh, mathematical percentage level to be sterling silver. Of course, there's nothing pure in the world, right? Right. So, uh, but fine silver, or what might be determined as fine or pure silver, again, 99.9, because uh, we're not perfect in purification even today, are we? But reprobate silver is in all these things I'm talking about, is the quality, right? That's why I gave you those percentages. It represents the quality of the material. It can, yeah, this is silver, that's silver, and that's silver. But it is the quality of purity that you're talking about for sterling silver or fine silver or reprobate silver, which literally is worthless and is rejected. When it says reprobate silver, will it be called because the Lord hath rejected? The Lord, the Bible just gave us the definition for it. Reprobate means rejected. It's worthless. It's not worth anything. It doesn't have enough silver in it to keep. You might as well throw it away. Not enough there for any good. Now, the unique thing about our text is God is using this term as a metaphor in relationship to his people, Israel. Israel. We're talking about people. God's people. And so what we want to look at today is what the text says about God's people, the Israelites then, and make an application of this also to now and also to future. So think about it in the terms. We'll discuss and uh, hopefully bring to your attention what it means and how reprobate silver is manifested. But again, keep in the back of your mind this application and metaphor is speaking about people. 
Now, I want to set the record straight on something right at the very beginning here because there is a great perversion, of course, naturally in our minds and in the world's teaching about going to heaven if you have a higher percentage of good works than you do sins. The Bible don't teach that. But again, a lot of people will read Revelation 20 where the books are open and every man will be judged according to his works. And it's misapplied there that, okay, if your works are good enough or of a higher, high enough quality like silver or gold that it outweighs the bad, then again, you'll be admitted. That's, the Bible doesn't teach that. That's not the reference here. That's not the reference there. There will be no percentage of your works or my works that will be acceptable unto God for our salvation. The grace of God saves sinners 100%. The blood of Christ washes away sins 100%. So in the aspect of being saved and have your sins washed away by Christ... You are, in that sense, as a child of God, 100% pure. Yet you are not pure, are you? Because we still have this tabernacle of flesh that was born in sin, it is sin, and it needs to be put away for sin to be put away. And so we are involved, even though we are 100% redeemed, we are not 100% sanctified, are we? But guess what? Sanctification is just that. It is a purification process. And the very fact that you and I live to see another new year means God is not through with the process of sanctification in our lives. And we trust, as we reflect on the last year, number one, that I am a more sanctified creature now by God's grace than I was this time last year. We pray and, and can look back hopefully and say, yes, God's Word, the ministry of God's Word, the church of God, the brethren and sisters and all has contributed the Holy Spirit most greatly, of course into me being a more sanctified vessel for the Master's use now than I was a year ago. And if not, and if your conscience is not clear on that, keep it to yourself, hang your head in shame, and begin praying that God would change that. Yield yourself and He will, because the Spirit will work in you to do and to will of His good pleasure. So, our purity as children of God is always on the uptake, or should be, as we purify our lives by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, getting rid of the stains and blemishes and sinful things, but we are, let me say it again, already 100% pure when it comes to redemption. When Christ said He finished that work, let me tell you, He finished it completely. There's nothing left. To be done. In fact, let me give you a scripture before we proceed any further in this introduction on that. First Peter chapter one and verse seven. Consider this. We're starting a new year again. I just mentioned it should be a year we'd be more sanctified than before, and we start that process. Again, a new year. That the trial of your faith, that's the sanctification process. You have faith? 
If you're redeemed, you have saving faith. All right? But there's a trial that goes with that faith, and that's living in this old world and in this old body. The trial of your faith, that sanctification, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. So that's our percentage of purity going up right there. And you're going, your faith will be tried till you draw your last breath. That's part of being a child of God. Our faith is tested every day. It will be tested every day. There are all kinds of things that God uses and allows Satan to test us with, but it's all for our good as we read right there. That's sanctification in a nutshell. Now, when we look at the Bible and individuals, individuals stand out, don't they? As being children of God, as being the lights of the world. And compared to the metaphor of the metallurgy here, the silver, they stand out very shiny and bright and pure, don't they? But looks can be deceiving. That's my point. I mean, a shiny coin or a shiny ring doesn't mean it's of high quality. It just means it shines bright, doesn't it? I mean, you can get a ring in a box of Cracker Jacks you're used to, and it would shine just like the purest gold, even though it might be polished brass. And polished brass can be mistaken for gold in many ways, can't it? You see what I'm saying? Well, the same thing is true of God's people. But let me just make you a quick illustration here. Those who are truly saved by God have always stood out and always will stand out. Abraham stood out. His faith. Read Hebrews 13, right? Or 12. Just pick at random. Hannah. You read Hannah's prayer, her condition there of being barren and without a child. I mean, that's not common. That's not normal for women to do things like that. To say, God, give me a child and I'll give him right back. I mean, she stood out. What I'm talking about here is not a profession of having something, but if the purity and the quality is really there, it's going to manifest itself. And a jeweler or somebody that does metals and what have you can find out real quick what the quality is by looking at it. it? Well, likewise, the people of God always have that spiritual quality that sets them apart from everybody else. I read that scripture about the trial of your faith, 1 Peter 1, 7. Apply that to Job. I mean, when we start that book, Job stood out, didn't he? I mean, God made it a point to tell us that Job stood out above all men of the earth. But God tried him, didn't he? Let, let Satan loose on him to try him and what come out? <laughs> Just what God said. Here's a just man, my servant Job, that loves righteousness, does right, and eschews evil. And when Satan got done, you know what? Satan wouldn't say it, but Satan would have had to admit the same thing. You know what, God? You were right. I thought I could get him, but I couldn't. Of course, Satan would admit that. Never will admit defeat. Never will admit defeat. But God proved his point from the beginning, didn't he? And you know what all that process did? It purified Job. He got more of Job's impurities out, and that's why we have to go through things likewise. We're not going to have to go through anything like Job, I'm sure. 
But whatever we have to go through, it's for the same divine purpose that it was with Job. No matter how pure he was, he still had impurities, and so do you and I. And God's got us a work in process, and God knows how to get out the least impurity that we'll never see. And so again, God's people, it's not just a shiny look. The quality's really there, and the trial of our faith proves it. Whether we're talking about Hannah or Job or whatever. Knowing his and the eight, they stood out. Pure quality. They went on the ark. The rest perish. Paul, others, whoever you want to name, make that point. But we're talking about purity. We're talking about quality when tested, when put to the fire. The people of God will come through and show that they really are what they claim to be. Those that are not, reprobate silver. All right, let's look at this in detail, shall we? Verse 27 says, Concerning Job, I have set thee for a tower and a fortress among my people that thou mayest know and try their way. You know that God was called. We talked about it in Sunday school. God called Jeremiah to be a prophet. And what we have in verse 27 is what we have in Jeremiah chapter 1. Here we have the messenger, Jeremiah, and the message God gave him to give to the people of God, and I'm using that term loosely because they were all Israelites, seed of Abraham, but they were not all of the faith of Abraham. And that's why he says here, this is what we'll call them reprobate silver, because that's what they are, because God has rejected them, even though they are the physical seed of Abraham. So, Jeremiah, the messenger, with the message that God gave him, which is what? God's word, God's message, God's truth. And he says, I've set you to be a tower and a fortress among my people. Now that's pretty easy to understand, isn't it? A tower and a fortress. I mean... Something formidable and something that stands out. However, the wrong idea is communicated to us with the word tower. Because in the Hebrew, that word means assayer. A-S-S-A-Y-E-R. That ought to be kind of a familiar term to us out here in the West because of all the mining that has went on out here in the West and the mining towns that have sprung up and died out and so forth. But there was an assayer's office, and when you had a mine going and you had ore out of it and you thought it was good, you had to take it to the assayer's office and let him examine it and see if you what you had was the real gold or the fake stuff or what the purity of it was so you'd know whether to keep digging or shut her down. So that's the word. That's the only time this word's used in the Old Testament. It's translated tire, and I can't tell you why. But again, an assayer then is an individual who is literally an, an inspector or a valuer of metals. We might think of them as a jeweler today, but a jeweler's really not an assayer. It goes back further than the jeweler to the guy that actually does the refining and melts the stuff down, okay? So, assayer. So, he says, Jeremiah, you're an assayer. And that's pretty obvious when he says here that thou mayest know and try their way. So, Jeremiah... Being a man of God, a prophet of God, preaching the Word of God, that in and of itself is going to try the people. 
It's going to test the people. And before we get into that, let's add the word fortress. What is a fortress? Well, usually that has to do with military, but that's something ain't going nowhere. <laughs> I mean, uh, fortress has to do with the word fortified, something very strong, something formidable, something that is practically invincible. And uh, there it is. It's firm. You can see it. It stands out, but you can't get rid of it or destroy it. Well, again, what are we talking about here? We're talking about the prophet and the word of God. And this is exactly what he said about him in chapter 1 and verse 18. He says, For behold, I have made thee this day a defensed city, a fortress, and an iron pillar, and brazen walls against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, against the princes thereof, against the priests thereof, and against the people of the land. And they shall fight against thee, but they shall not prevail against thee, for I am with thee, saith the Lord, to deliver thee. There's the fortress right there. There's the assayer. There's the tower. So all of that goes together. And what God does say, no, what I put my hand to, they're not going to do anything with it. You know, when I'm done with you, then I'll be done with you. But they're not going to cut it short. You remember Jesus told the same thing to Paul when he told him to go over Macedonia in the vision. He says, i got a lot of people in this city. I'm, don't worry about nothing. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to protect you. He had something for him to do. So, tower, an assayer, and a fortress... So Jeremiah stands out. Jeremiah was heard. Jeremiah was seen. They could put him in a dungeon, but they couldn't shut him up until God got said what he wanted to be said through Jeremiah to their ears. So, very important truth right here at the onset. The messenger of God, the man of God, the prophet of God, the apostle of God, the preacher of God, and the word of God always tries men. Whenever the Word of God goes forth to the ears of human beings, there is a trying, a testing, and a proving, as he says right here, that it may be revealed, manifest, or known who they are, what they are, what their heart is, what their ways is, because the Word of God is the thing that reveals that. So we're all held accountable and tested against what we read so often in our Bibles, thus saith the Lord. Okay? So get that in your minds now. It is the truth, God's truth, God's Word, that tries us all, that holds us all accountable, holds us all responsible, and by which we are judged today, tomorrow, and in final judgment, every human being will be judged, the quick and the dead. By what? The truth of God's Word. What does Hebrews 4, 12, 13 remind us of? For the Word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. You remember that verse, 4, 12? Let me get there so I don't butcher it. The Word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in His sight, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of Him with whom we have to do, and it is the truth that exposes every bit of that. Jesus said in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 10, 
And verse 34, Think not that I am come to send peace on earth. I am not, I came, excuse me, I came not to send peace, but a sword. What did he mean by that? Is he saying there and bragging and boasting that he just come to be a troublemaker? To be a disruptor of families? To be a disruptor of marriages? To separate between siblings and uncles and aunts and mothers and fathers? And No, no. What's he speaking about? He's the truth. He's the light. And get this, truth always divides. If it doesn't divide, it's not truth. I mean, the truth and error principle is as old as and in conjunction with and based upon the light and darkness principle. Wherever there's truth, they can't be air. They don't. They can coexist in the same environment, but they can't exist together, like light and darkness. Verily, the one exposes the other. The presence of one makes the other flee. If you got that, they're so opposites. So, Jesus said, "I came to send a sword." It's because of where he. Came. Where did he come? He came to a fallen world of fallen creatures. And who was he? 100% pure truth, the eternal Son of God. I mean, you can't put those two in the same place and there not be division. And therefore, whom God saves, what happens? What happens when God saves a sinner? They're separated from the world and brought into the kingdom of his dear Son, right? Truth separates. And that's exactly what Jeremiah here has been ordained to do is by preaching the Word of God. It's going to do a separating work, a dividing work, an exposing work, and a revealing work. That's what the Ten Commandments does. That's what the Gospel does. If we want to put God's Word in those terms. And verse 28 says, and here is pretty much what you might say is what God says they are before they're even tried. Okay? Let me give you an illustration before I even read it. But let me read it and then I'll give the illustration. They're all grievous revolters, walking with slanders. They're all they're brass and iron. They're all corruptors. This would be like an old miner bringing some ore or something or a chunk of rock or something in that he thinks got gold, silver, valuable metals in it, hands it to the sayer in the assayer's office. The sayer takes it up and looks at it and says, well, I can tell you right now, this is worthless. Well, how do you know that? Well, I, I know it's worthless. I, I mean, I, that's my job. I, I can tell you right now, this you might as well just not waste your time with this. But the miner says, well, at least try it. Put the fire to it and make sure. I want to know for Well, I can tell you already. He said, do it. Okay, I'll do it. So God is saying here, I already know what they are. But you going and preaching the word of God to them is fixing to prove it. And then you'll know. And so like the miner, the assayer can go and try it and bring it back and say, okay, here's what it is, just what I told you. It's exactly what I told you. It's not any good at all. It's, it's, you know, it's not any higher percentage than I thought it would be. Well, now he knows, doesn't he? Not on word, but on proof. It's been put to the test. And that's exactly what we're talking about right here. So God says this is what they are. They're my people by being the seed of Abraham, but they're not my people by being and possessing the faith of Abraham. 
They're grievous revolters. And the word grievous there literally is not grievous like, like we think about. The word grievous literally would translate turn aside. They're not obedient followers. They turn aside. Just give them a chance. They turn aside. They're revolters. And what is somebody who turns aside or turns from the way or turns from the law? They're a rebel. So it's a turn aside rebel, he says. And they walk with slanders. Well, what's slander? That's just a nice word for a lie. You know, that, that's all it is. If you slander somebody, well, you just hadn't told the whole... No, you lied. I mean, you know, I wish we didn't even have that word. Because it gives a misconception, doesn't it? Of a, you know, well, eh, you know, it's not as bad as it seems. A white lie. Where, boy, the devil coined a good one when he came up with that, didn't he? That's what we're talking about. No. And if you want more on this, just read Romans 3. Their mouth is the poison of asp is in their mouth. Open sepulcher. You know, sinners, Right? They are brass and iron. What are brass and iron? I like brass and iron, don't you? We have a lot of things that are brass and iron. But how much brass and iron would you want if you could get all the gold and silver you want? You'd tromp over brass and iron to get the gold and silver like men have because the one has valuable qualities, the other does not. So when he says here brass and iron, that's some of the most base metals that we have and that we use. Iron and brass. And so he says, they're the bottom of the barrel. They're not the good stuff. They're just the old base stuff. Literally, what is called a base metal. They're corruptors. And the word corruptors means destroyers. So this is what he's saying here. Uh, as Isaiah said, 64, 6, you know, uh, all their righteousness is filthy rags. All. So what is being said here about Israel in Jeremiah's time is literally true universally of all of us and God's word proves that doesn't it what does God's word say what we are all sin comes short of the glory of God how, well how can that be what happened Genesis chapter 3 we all fell in Adam what, well there's a little bit of good in somebody somewhere. no there's not any good anywhere God doesn't look from the beginning to time to the end of the time and there's not, nothing good in nobody and there's never going to be anything good and there's never good anything good going to come out it's all bad and God's Word is what tells us that. You don't learn that by experience. You learn that from God's Word because it's a fundamental truth that God has said who knows all. Now the experience just reaffirms it, doesn't it? Your life experience, your life, my life, since God has saved us, the lives of other people just confirms what God's already said. It's what it does. So God says this is what they are, but put them to the test. Go preach to them, Jeremiah. And here we have the metaphor of the process. It is a metallurgy process. Proving who are God's people and who are not God's people. Oh, they love the seed of Abraham, right? They were God's people in a national sense. But again, not all Israel was Israel in the Old Testament, just as all Israel is not Israel today. Being a Jew, don't save your soul. All right? And actually, God's people are spiritual Jews because we have the faith of Abraham even though we don't have the physical seed of Abraham as Gentiles. The Bible makes that clear. All right, so this is the process then. It's the same process today. 
It's going to be the same process tomorrow. God hadn't changed the process of proving who His people are and who those who claim to be His people are not, but are really reprobate silver. And in order to do this, I got to, in order for you to appreciate the metaphor, I've got to explain a little bit to you of the process, okay? I'll try to be as brief as possible. But first of all, in this process of metallurgy, of proving or finding out or examining, like the assayer, what the content of good stuff in there is and what the content of bad stuff is there, there is a process and it's called cupellation. And I'll tell you why it's called that in a minute. But the process is done by a person who refines it, or as verse 29 says, the founder melteth in vain. Well, a refiner of silver, refiner of gold or metal is a founder because he's working with a foundry. He's working with a fire, intense heat to heat up the ore, okay? So we all know that right down to a horseshoe or what have you. you got to have a fire. you got to get the metal hot. You, that's what finds out, re, reveals by fire what really is there, okay? So you got the refiner or the founder, and that's what Jeremiah is because he's the preacher. He's the prophet, right? This is what I am and what the church of God of the New Testament is, Right? What are we? The pillar and the ground of the truth. We stand for truth. We preach the truth to men. That is our aim. That is desire to give people the Word of God. And the Word of God tries every man just like Jesus who was the living Word of God tried every person he come in contact with, every person he spoke to, and every time we quote his words, does the same thing today. So that's what Jeremiah is. That's what our function is. And the fire literally is where it's at, right? That's the Word of God. I mean, the fire is the Word of God. I mean, that's where the judgment comes, right? That's where you're put to the test. The fire does that. And to follow up on the metaphor, we might say the people are the ore. They're the ones that's getting tested. And we're going to find out who's who. We're going to find out who the pure silver is, and we're going to find out who those that claim to be pure silver are really reprobate silver. And so it's the refiner and the process by fire. Okay, cupellation. It's a little word you don't need to remember, but it comes from the actual vessel or little shallow container called a cupel where this is all done. Okay, it's the vessel that you're going to put the ore in and you're going to put the fire to. And it's very interesting. I'm fascinated by, you know, any man would be who's ever welded or torched or anything or watched metal get hot and any of that. Metallurgy is just fascinating. I mean, it's, it's, it's to a common man what chemistry would be to a chemist, you know. I mean, the way all that stuff works, God's just designed it. But nevertheless, this little dish or this little shallow pan or whatever, the cupel, is actually made out of a porous substance. It has to be porous. And in old times, and even today, I am told from what little research I've done, it was made out of bone ash. The ashes of bones being adhesively some way put together. Today we'd use super glue or something. I guess something's heat resistant. But again, the little dish, be like a modern pedestal type deal. You know, kind of get your mind around that. But it's porous or chalky. It can't be a slick surface. 
So it's out of those that bone material, porous, chalky, because that serves a purpose. The ore is put in there. The fire is applied to it. And if there's not much lead in the ore, then lead is added to the ore. And there's a reason for that, because various things melt at different temperatures. Lead melts pretty quick at a pretty low temperature. And then the other stuff in the ore will begin to melt at a higher temperature. And guess what? The silver has a very high melting temperature. Meaning, and get this, this is what will make you appreciate it, the other stuff will all melt before the silver does. So you're talking about the cream rising to the top on milk or what have you like that. Again, uh, the best stuff comes last or holds out longer in that regard. But back to the lead. If the lead is not in there, they add lead because of this. When the heat gets built up, the lead melts. And then as the other stuff that's undesirable melts, it is absorbed or kind of, I hate to say sponge, but the lead kind of draws it, attracts it, and mixes with it. Okay? So, so it kind of, kind of like a magnet will pick up stuff, you know. The lead is there to get this undesirable stuff mixed with it. And then as the heat is applied, the lead in, and the undesirables are actually absorbed into the porous part of that cupel which then leaves, under intense heat, the silver puddled up, motionless, in the middle. That's cupellation. So just, just roll that around in your mind. I know you just heard that a little bit. But think about an individual, and they still do this today. This is still, a, even with high tech today, it's still this same basic process, and some things just can't be changed to make it work. Now, obviously, when the cupel absorbs so much of that, the cupel ain't no good no more. I mean, you got to start with a new cupel because it won't absorb nothing. All right, you got that point. So they actually, you can you you can go on the internet and buy a cupel, and it'll tell you how many grams or grains or what weight of silver or gold you can get that that cupel will process. But that's all it's going to process because it it can only absorb so much. Fascinating, isn't it? Okay, but again, think about that and the heat of the fire and so forth and so on. Well, the process here is, verse 29, concerning the people, he says, The bellows are burned, the lead is consumed to the fire, the founder melteth in vain, and the wicked are not plucked away. What's he saying here concerning Jeremiah preaching the word of God to the so-called people of God? We all know what the bellows are, if you've ever seen that, even in an old western. That's what puts the air to the fire that makes the fire hotter. More air, more heat. Same way with the engine in your car. You know, you put that, that good air in there, that cool air in there in the right proportion, it'll give you more horsepower. Well, in this sense, it gives it more heat. Well, as I said, a certain amount of heat is necessary, absolutely necessary for this process to work. If you don't have enough heat to melt the stuff, it's not going to work. You're not going to reveal nothing. Nothing's going to separate. Nothing's going to absorb. Well, this is speaking to the effect that the normal process has happened, but there's no silver. 
So the refiner has made an extra effort by putting more air to make more heat and more fire just to make sure that a little bit more won't reveal that the silver's really there. You got that? So it is almost in a sense above and beyond what should be necessary. To the point that the bellows are burned. The, the point of the bellows that's up there feeding the flame, he's getting it so hot by trying to put more air to it, he's burning the tip off the bellows. Which, you don't want to do that. You're destroying your, the very thing, the instrument that that's makes the process work. But he's trying hard by more heat, more air, even burning the bellows to get this silver out if it's really there. The next thing said, the lead's consumed. The heat becomes so excessive, the lead burns up. So it doesn't get the other impurities and get absorbed into the cupel. It gets burned up because we went beyond the threshold of heat that we should have. And in the end, even though the founder, the refiner, has worked above and beyond what we might say is necessary, it's all been for naught. All for nothing. It says in vain. Why? Look at this very carefully. The wicked are not plucked away. There's no separation. That is an astounding statement. Now you know what it means in the normal cupellation process. No silver has appeared. What's that tell you? It was all impure. There wasn't enough silver in there to start with to mess with, as the old saying goes. But get this point. The wicked are not plucked away. Tell me why the wicked are not plucked away. Well, if they're plucked away, they've got to be plucked away from something besides wickedness, don't it? If there's no silver there, there's nothing to pluck away from. You can't separate things that are alike. <laughs> you can't separate the same thing you can only separate things that are different, right? And that's a saddest statement concerning God's people in Jeremiah's time before they went into the Babylonian captivity. There wasn't hardly a minority of pure people. There were some. Don't get me wrong. I'm not writing off the whole nation. There was a remnant. But by majority, you couldn't separate the wicked from the pure because you couldn't find enough pure to separate and what you were really trying to do was trying to separate wicked from wicked. Can you imagine going in a penitentiary and trying to separate the good guys from the bad guys? That's what we're talking about. They're all there for a reason. They're wicked people, or if justice has been served, that's why they're there. You can't separate bad water from bad water. You can't separate this bad bitter thing from that bitter thing because they're both bitter. You see the point? But this is God's people. Well, let's apply this quickly and wrap this up. It should be an easy application now that you understand this. God's people then were tested and tried by the prophet Jeremiah's message, weren't they? And sent all the way through the ages, God has had His men, He's had His people, He's had His prophets. In the New Testament, He had Christ and the apostles, and His church has come forth now for 2,000 years. And this is exactly what we've been doing every time we preach the gospel and preach the Word of God and the truth of God's words. We're trying and testing men. Trying and testing men. And we're to do it to the best of our...
ability. We're to go beyond the normal thing. Maybe if somebody don't hear the first time, we'll try to have an opportunity to preach to them again. You say, turn up the heat. Not by human means, but by reinforcing the Word of God. Let me give you another scripture. Let me give you another message about this. That if you don't turn, you're going to perish. God's Word says you're a sinner. Do I need to give you more details about what a sinner is? And how you've sinned against a most holy God and how you've broken His law? We can turn up the heat to the best of our ability. And that's what we do when we preach the truth. And it's the truth that has the power. It's not the preacher. It's not the church. We've just been invested with that fire that we preach. And sadly, the same end happens with our efforts as it did with Jeremiah's, didn't it? The wicked are not plucked away. There's no separation. In other words, you, pe- you, you preach to a room full of people, a congregation of people, and, and so often we don't get to do that here. But sometimes we do at a wedding or especially at a funeral. And my prayer every time I preach a funeral is that God would use whatever He's going to say through me to turn somebody from their sinful ways and avoiding that, that eternal death that we'll talk about at that funeral out of darkness into light. I, I pray that every time. I'm not bragging, but so should you. That should be. That there'd be a separation. That maybe somebody there, God would be pleased by His mercy and grace and the preaching of the gospel to separate somebody from their wicked, evil way and their way of perishing onto the straight and narrow way and eternal life. Well, my point is this. It seems like so much of the time our efforts are in vain, don't they? Because we can't always see the success. Success can come later. By success, I'm talking about the conversion of souls or strengthening of those who are already saved. But we know this and have this promise. The Bible says the Word of God will not return void. That means even though it seems vain, our efforts in vain. Paul mentioned laboring in vain. He didn't want to laboring in vain. But sometimes when people don't believe, it seemed in vain. But nevertheless, it was not in vain because the people had been tried. The testimony of God had went forth. It had fallen on the ears. The truth of God had at least got to the ears of people. And what it had shown was, and this is what you'd have to say if, if we were preaching to a congregation of people here today and, and, or at a funeral or wherever preachers preach, me, anybody. And there's no visible effect. You say, well, we've labored in vain. No, what we've really done is prove that there were none of God's elect there. Just like the refiner proved there was no silver. Was it in vain? No, God sent the man to preach. He told Isaiah, he said, they're not going to hear you, but you go anyway. How long am I going to preach? You just preach till I tell you to quit preaching. And I believe with all my heart today in judgment, it'll be a witness against those who heard, but rejected So this exposes the reprobate silver. This is that silver. I don't have time to read this. You can read it in 1 Timothy chapter 3 verses 1 through 9. But it sums up people there that have a form of godliness, but denying their power thereof. It looks shiny on the outside like silver, but when it is put to the test of cupellation, 
portion of the Word of God. It's shown to be there's not enough silver there to mess with. And by that, we might use, borrow a term from James. Remember, James used the expression pure religion and undefiled. That's what we're talking about. He's talking about the same thing I'm talking about. When you melt it all down, what's it going to amount to? I'll tell you what it's going to amount to. It'll be found out whether what you profess to believe is of God or of you. That's what it's going to prove. Is it of men? Or is it really divine, supernatural, and of God? I hope you deem it to be so. One of the great problems today is the fire is burning so low it don't melt nothing. What am I talking about now? I'm talking about a lot of so-called churches and so-called preachers that claim to preach a so-called truth. It don't make anybody uncomfortable. Well, you know, we have an old saying that the, the preaching of the truth of God's Word, and I believe this, is supposed to afflict the comfortable and comfort the afflicted. But a lot of what's preached today don't afflict nobody. It's so weak. It's so weak. It won't melt the lead, much less convict sinners of sin. And when I say that, I'm not saying it in condemnation as others as much as I'm speaking about our responsibility to, to keep the heat where the Lord left it. The gospel and the truth should be con preached with conviction and with power. And literally hold sinners' feet to the fire. Hold them to God's law. Hold them to what Christ said. You can't be saved in your sin. You can be saved from your sin, but you'll turn from it. That's not the message of today, is it? No, you can be whatever you want to and keep your sin. You can keep your suitcase full of sins and just tag along on your journey and have Christ too. No, you cannot. God help us to keep the fire where Christ and the apostles had it because so many have turned the fire down that no wonder people aren't saved and all people make professions but they're not convicted because the heat don't expose anything well final thing there's coming a final judgment get this now God's word tries people right now there's people that have heard me preached or you've talked to they don't care for what you've got to say about Jesus about their own soul about salvation about sin just like Jeremiah's day, they said, well, if you'll, you'll temper it down, soften it down, we'll believe you. They literally told Jeremiah, I didn't look that scripture up to bring it to you, but it come to my mind now. They literally told me, don't give us all that gloom and doom, you know, and, and we'll believe you. Well, that's what modern Christianity's done. They softened it down where people like it. They're not doing them any good, they're deceiving them. But today when we preach the Word of God, same thing. It reveals who the pure, sinless sons of God are and who are those that just profess to be silver. Doesn't it? I tend to believe y'all are the pure deal. You know why? You come here faithfully. And you keep coming. And you keep hearing. And I see a hunger and a thirst for the truth of God's Word. When I see that in you or anybody, then I tend to think, Lord, thank you. This is a real deal. You know, I mean, this, this is, these people ain't faking it. They're not putting on a show. They're not shining for the preacher by showing up. They want the truth of God's Word. 
And they know when they come here that if I preach the truth of God's Word, it's going to walk all over their flesh and make them feel bad in the flesh, but it's going to cause that divine part to rejoice, and they keep on coming. I thank God for that. You see, it's a trying process, isn't it? But in the end, in final judgment, when God judges, He's going to use the same standard that I'm using, the church is using, His Word. And you know what's going to be revealed then? Exactly what's being revealed right now. Those who hear and reject the Word of God now, we know what their destiny is, don't we? The Bible tells us. Except you turn, except you repent, except you believe, you will perish. And then it will be confirmed. You heard, you rejected, and now you'll be cast into outer darkness. So the ultimate assayer is the Lord Jesus Himself. And one day He's going to confirm what we're seeing happen right now. That those who reject the Word now and never repent will be rejected by Him then. We look at it and say, man, it looks like reprobate silver to me now. I hope it's not. But if something doesn't change, that's all it is. And in judgment day, the Lord will say, well, here's the final test. And exactly what was thought is exactly what it is. Worthless. Don't give me your works. Don't tell me what you've done. Don't give me anything. That's all faith to me. The only pure will be those who've been purified by the blood of Christ. Reprobate silver is not a title you want applied to you. Rejected. Those who reject God will be rejected by God. Do you see yourself in that today? Or, on the other hand, can you see yourself beyond sterling silver? 100% pure because Christ has washed away your sin. If you're lost today, repent and believe. And as we sang earlier in this service this morning, you can be washed in the blood. God bless this to your hearing.